the sound booth gets bad PR and press every now and then, and so I want y'all to know my, uh, my mic was muted up there, and it's hard for it to be improved upon when that's not working right. So since you guys don't get a lot of credit, I won't give you the bad publicity when it's my fault. Church, this morning, turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. That's what we're going to be doing. We're walking through our family values uh, this week. We're going to be talking about um, just what we believe as a church and where things stand uh, as, the, as a church body and our, our values that come along with that. We've been talking about stewardship. We've been talking about uh, last week about what Scripture means to us. And this week, we're going to be talking about family. And so as we, we do so, I want to kind of lead you into that before we get to our, our statement we've concised and come summarized a little bit so that we could uh, have it in a way that's memorizable and uh, easy to repeat today. Um, but I, I was watching the news this week and or reading the news, I guess, this week, uh, and I found something particularly interesting. Um, a circuit of appeals court passed a ruling five to two this week that an elephant was not a person. And I, now that, that's kind of interesting thing the way how it goes, but I thought about dads and this ruling. Now I don't know how many thousands of dollars were spent to prove that an elephant was not a person, but every dad in this room right now is thinking, you know what, for half of that I could have solved it for you. You wouldn't have had to go through all the process, right? Like dads, we figured it out. It, it's just an interesting thing, and as I, I read through the rights and, and, and why the word person was important to this, here's what really got me, is how in the world was it five to two? How was it not seven to zero? Like we know, like we, we know an elephant is different than a person. We, we know that people are different than grasshoppers. You know what I mean? We, we know this to be true. So, so how did we get there and what does that have to do with family values? And so as I saw that, I just started breaking it down because my first thought was ridiculous. But then I just started tracing back and I thought, you know, it kind of goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, God created man and woman prior to this and gave them their purpose and their, their meaning. And, and, and then a serpent came along and, and tempted Eve to take the fruit and eat of it that was from the tree of, of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And so she did, and Adam ate from it with her. All right, and it's Father's Day, guys, just to remind you, that means Adam was there close enough to do something about it, and he chose not to, and he gladly took the fruit and took a bite as well. He wasn't doing it for any crazy theological reasons that you may have heard elsewhere, but he was present. He didn't walk up on her later on and say, I wish I'd have been here. So it says he took and he ate of it. And so then they heard the Lord walking in the garden, and they hid from him, hiding from an all-knowing uh, everywhere present omnipresent God doesn't make a lot of sense and so they're hiding and God says where are you and why are you hiding and they said well we're we're not clothed and he said well who told you that and then it starts to unravel the first recorded marital argument in history the woman you gave me did it way to stand up for your wife man that was that was so good. One guy told me at one time, like, he took it to protect her. I'm like, if he took it to protect her, then he threw her under the bus as quick as he could. Like, horrible thing. He said, the woman you gave me did this. And, and I can imagine the look on Eve's face, and Eve said, whoa, 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 the snake. That's the one who did it. And, and so, so in this, we had this first breakdown of sin making its way 
into a, a marriage covenant, a husband and wife covenant that God had ordained and created for one another. And then through the time, we see this start to, to break down from tracing it back to them to now their roles are abused. That's part of the curse. It says that the woman's desire will be contrary to her husband. In other words, the woman will desire the same uh, role and place exactly as the husband and that the husband will want to rule his place over her. So he will want to abuse and she will want to have. That's part of the curse that God handed down after the first argument in history. And so we start to see that play out all the way through this um, devaluing, this covenant breaking, this desiring to have what is not supposed to be ours, and this ruling it over them. It's all broken down and marred and crumbled up the creator's design. And I read the other day um, one of the most um, interesting statements. It was profane in the moment and powerful when you unpack it. It was from uh, a lady who was... Um, a believer in Jesus Christ and, and uh, she was talking about um, the, the value of personal autonomy in her context and she worked in an abortion clinic and, and she said the Lord Jesus Christ he values personal autonomy above everything else and I thought what in the world in my whole life I've never heard that the Lord Jesus Christ values personal autonomy above everything else. In fact, when I walk through Scripture, as, as the world kind of breaks this thing down, I want you to know that the standard for the family that God has designed is not, I am my own, that my personal autonomy matters above all else. It's, I have been bought with a price, and I'm not my own anymore. You see, I think we, we start to find our will and our wants to and this, this residue of sin that's, that blankets our society, that blankets our life, that says that my life is about my autonomy. And if I love this or if I want this or if these people are important to me and these people aren't, it's really about me. And I will tell you that God's creation of family it proves that that is not true of God's perspective. That God says, you are not your own. If you are married, I want you to know this, you, you belong to someone else. That covenant commitment that you made, it means you surrendered your individuality to create a new oneness with your bride or with your husband. And so as we walk through that today, I want you to know we must battle the residue of that first argument in sin because it makes its way in to where abuse and contrary, we see it played out and we want to embrace it in a world that says, I matter more than anyone else. And if I don't look out for me, who will? So our staff worked to shrink down our family statement so we could go through it in church today. Let's put it up on the screen if we can this morning. So when we talk about what we believe as a family, that's our shrink down version. You know, the other ones have been like three verses, uh, three lines. This is a little bit more. Um, and you can read this with me if you will. This is what, what we have written down and come up with. Uh, God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. A family is composed of persons related to the one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. The family is God's original and primary means of passing on godly values from generation to generation. 
Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime and is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church. Now, listen to me. That is an insufficient statement to cover everything and everywhere. Um, but every word of it is grounded and founded in the richness of Scripture. And that's what we're going to talk through today. We're going we're to take a look at how you and I, not verse by verse, line by line, can go through that statement. But how we can start to see that God designed the family different and purposeful. We don't serve a God who just sets it and forgets it, flicks a spinner and works on and flicks another spinner, and God just hopes it takes on life of its own. But we know that God designed family as one of the most, if not the most beautiful symbol in all of, all of creation. And we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, to look at that. And we'll, we'll go back into Genesis a little bit today and we'll be here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, chapter 5 and, verse, and chapter 6, excuse me, is where we're going to camp out today. And what I want you to know today is this was written to the church in Ephesus. And, and Ephesus um, being a, a Roman colony in the midst of that and the church growing up in that, we were, we were there in May and kind of walking through just the incredibleness that was designed in the city and how it was completely designed around paganism and, and it's completely designed around self and self-desire and scratching your own itch and all of those things that the moral and theistic standards that are going on are, are very similar to what we face in our more sophisticated world today. And so when Paul's writing this, inspired by the Spirit to the church, what he's doing is he's, he's addressing the household of the day. And if you were to look at chapter 5 and chapter 6, there are basically four relationships in this family that Paul addresses, inspired by the Spirit. Husband, wife, child, and slave or servant. And I want you to know, when God is, is using Paul to do this, he is saying, this is how you live if you are a husband, if you are a wife, if you are a child, or if you are a slave in this pagan culture that you're in right now. This is a way to honor the Lord in where you are. This is not God saying slavery is good. In fact, I would tell you the makeup of the family, the proof of the way God created it before the fall, proofs the way God designed it was intentional. Because before sin entered the world, father, our parent, husband, wife, and child, all of those roles are pointed to. Listen to what Genesis chapter 3, excuse me, verse, chapter 1, verse 27 says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created male and female, him and them, husband and wife, be fruitful and multiply, have a family. All of this before sin entered the world. And it's incredible to me that God in all of his order of creation, he starts to zero in from this big picture into this little picture on the story of his people. 
And so that's what we're going to pick up as we read in Ephesians chapter 5 with this understanding that before sin entered the world, God had already designed family and he called it good. He called its purpose, its intent, and its direction good. If you have a Bible with me, uh, read with me verse 21 all the way of chapter 5 all the way through chapter 6 verse 4. This is what the Bible says. Uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ. Uh, what wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body uh, his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This, is the myst this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see she respects her husband. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me tell you, we, we have kind of taken this passage and our culture has done a crazy thing inside and outside of the church and it's made this passage almost a grinding stone that we feel like we have to listen through sometimes and I want to challenge you to, to kind of open your mind a little bit and let scripture really speak and let the Holy Spirit really speak today because I think as we walk through this the joy of this passage can be revealed if we scrape away all of the junk that has been thrown on, of it, on it through our society and through our culture. And as we walk into this, as a, as a husband, um, Chris and I talked about this all week long. This is one of those passages I want to be careful with because it reflects a relationship that I have with the most important person in the world, my wife. And so I want you to look, when you look at verse 20 with me, we start at verse 20, look at verse 20 with me. Verse 20 says this, giving thanks always for everything of God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your Bible, my translation is going to have a comma, but until recently, there was a semicolon or a period in many translations right there, as if the thought was changing or a new statement was happening. But I want you to know something. I was challenged in my preparation for this week as I studied, and let me tell you, there is no grammatical mark in the original text right there. In fact, what I would tell you is the absence of that doesn't mean I or anyone else can make it clear for you. Let's just keep it a part of what it is. So when you read verse 20, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's not a new thought. It's a continuation of a, 
of an active thought in Scripture. What is that active thought? Look with me in chapter 5, verse 18. We'll read verse 18, 19, 20, and 21. This is what the Bible says, and I'm going to start at the beginning. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, but, that means new thoughts, something very different. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for the Lord, uh, for the, excuse me, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That feels a little different than we normally talk through it, doesn't it? See, what the Spirit inspiring Paul to say is this, when you are filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is rushing over you, when you are involved with those relationships with your life, you are addressing people with the words of God. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You're worshiping the Lord. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are giving thanks for everything that God has done. And when you are filled with the Spirit, we submit to one another why or how out of reverence to Christ. All of these are our reactions to being filled with the Spirit of God. Can the Holy Spirit of God produce in you and me spoiled or sour fruit of the Spirit? No. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. If, if everything that God has or plans is good and only we bring sin into the equation, now catch this with me, then that means that when you speak to other people with the Word of God, it's good, amen? Amen. That was really poor, but it's true, right? When you worship the Lord in your heart, that's really good fruit, amen? Amen, it is good fruit. And when you give thanks to God, no matter what's going on around you, that's good, amen? Yeah, and when you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's good, amen? See, I think, I think somewhere along the way that out of reverence for Christ gets lost. All of a sudden, Ephesians chapter 5 becomes about a relationship from which God is absent from, and the focus is a man and a woman. But as you and I are going to read today, from, from the beginning of verse 18 all the way through God's address to the family here, it is really about one relationship, ours and the Lord's. You see, because it's, it's like this. When the Lord inspires Paul, Paul to write, submitting out of one another of reverence to Christ, verse 22, he writes it this way. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now here's how I'm going to let you know that verse 22 and what comes afterwards is in direct connection with verse 21. So men, women, listen very closely. In verse 22... In the way it was originally written, there is no verb. So 
So in the Greek, what verse 22 would say in our kind of messed up English is wives to your own husbands as the Lord. Wives to your own husbands as the Lord. Now, in, if we were to say that, Grammarly would kill us, right? If you're a Grammarly user, someone would say, you've got to have something to that. But in the Greek, it's very normal. When that verb is missing, guess what it does? It attaches to the action of the previous statement. So it's absolutely appropriate. Your Bible translators didn't mess it up. But we know then this, if that verb is missing in verse 22, wives submit to your husband, that wives you are supposed to admit, submit to your husbands. But here's what we know, that verse 21 all the way through the end of this statement is based on how a Christian man submits as the leader of his house to his wife out of reverence to God and how a Christian woman loves and supports and encourages her husband through submission out of reverence to Christ. Are you following me in this? This statement is not how wives are to be submissives and husbands are to be careful. This passage of scripture is how husbands and wives brought together, made one, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ in uniquely different ways right we can turn the lights on turn the lights off in just a second whoever wants to leave you can leave well, we won't know but this is the beauty of the passage we know that the framework for all of the directions and the instruction on having a family that God has provided for us is based on you and I husband and wife Submitting unto one another out of reverence to God in unique ways. And I've, I've read a ton over the past few months, but specifically in the last few weeks preparing for today. And the absence of that submit word in verse 22 would let everybody, would let the critics of Scripture say that this is fluid, that husbands and wives are absolutely no different. Here's the problem with that, and we, we, we won't allow ourselves to go there because the Holy Spirit used God language to describe husband and wife. He used Christ as a symbol for husbands to understand their role, and he used uh, the church, the bride, as a symbol for wives to understand their role. If we were to make it fluid, then we are taking a direct swipe at how God is showing us his order works in the heavens. So, so that's not what it's saying. But, but ladies, it is Father's Day. So are y'all okay if I start with dads? Because everybody starts with women, right? Because it's first. It's also shortest. I feel like if I run out of time, ladies, you're going to be okay. But guys, it is Father's Day, and so I want to start our conversation off about what it means to submit to your wife out of reverence for Christ as the leader in your home. And it should start in verse 21. Look back up with me to verse 21. This is what the Scripture says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the Greek word here doesn't mean dress up in your Sunday best and have it all together. 
It doesn't mean look respectable for Christ. I was talking with Christy's uncle the other day about um, assisted living centers and retirement homes in Houston. And there's a retirement home in Houston where every man has to wear a coat to dinner every night. I'm like, y'all, that feels like punishment, you know? Like, but it's, it's reverential, it's good. Listen, what you're thinking of reverence, I just want to smush it right now. If you're, a, if you're a Bible writer, you can write it in the top margins. Don't mess up the words in the scripture. If you're not, write it in your notes. The word for reverence is phobos. It means fear or panic. It doesn't mean rever- It doesn't mean you know, <clears throat> sit up straight and don't talk. Here's what it means, men and ladies. This will apply to you too, but we're starting with guys today. When you submit to your wife, in the role that God has assigned you as a leader in your home, you should do it with a panic if you are unfaithful. Like, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid of not following and letting your marriage be an act of worship to God. That's the negative. Happy Father's Day. We got beef jerky afterwards for you. But the power in that word, it can't be watered down, guys. Like, God has called you to it. He didn't call you just to smush you, right? Women, he's called you to it. He can call you to it. You should know this is serious business in submitting to your wife as the leader of your home out of reverence, fear of what it would be to rebel against God in this role why because he uses god language it, it listen verse 25 husbands love your christ as how it say it with me as what christ loved the church do you know that in leading your home you are a living picture to your wife to your kids, to your community. If you claim Christ, you are a living picture of how our Lord and Savior loves his people. And if you, as a living example of what that's supposed to look like, rebel against God and do what you desire, then what are you telling the world? That the the Lord God loves like this, selfishly, abusively, emotionally, with an iron fist, all unbiblical truths. Whew, anybody got a little panic? You're like, this morning, you're like, Lord Jesus, come. Right now, you're like, give me about an hour and a half. Right? As we walk through this, listen, guys, out of reverence for God, listen to, to the language of our Savior. This is an act of worship, how you lead your home. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife must, he who loves his wife actually loves himself. 
Verse 29, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ Jesus does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and so does his wife respects her husband. How, how much, how much theology is woven into that statement? Do you know what God's plan is for his bride? That every person who is adopted into his home doesn't just become a child of God, but becomes the bride of Christ. Here's what I want you to know the day you accepted Jesus Christ, that you came into a covenant relationship that will be eternal and unending. You have been made new. You are not your own, but you are now his. Jesus says, let them be one as we are one. And in this oneness, I want you to know, this is what Christ did. He gave himself up. He died on a cross to sanctify you. And if you want to know if it was easy, look what scripture says. No one hates their own flesh. Jesus Christ didn't hate his own flesh. He prayed in the garden. I know this is gonna be hard, but not my will, but yours be done. If you wanna do it differently, Father, we'll do it differently. He loved, he loved who he was. He didn't hate who he was, so it was easy to die, but in himself, he showed his love for us in this. That he gave up his life so that we could have life. And in that, he showed the love he has for the bride and for himself and for the Father. A new union created. Men, I want you to know it's an incredibly potent thing to say I do. If if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to listen in, but, but we'll save a little bit of that for the end. But if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are wondering what your role is as a husband, here's what I tried to summarize it as is this. As a husband, we should show our love for our wives and our fear of the Lord by submitting our life to love our wives and make excuse me, making her more every day than she was the day before. Any woman like, I don't want that. Anyone like, I, I really need a husband who neglects me, who treats me poorly, right? I mean, guys, I want you to know, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, this is what he does. He starts this sanctifying work. And do you know what's happening in this sanctifying work of the Spirit? You're not perfect today, but one day you will be glorified. You will be made perfect. He is in the process of making you holy. What does Jesus have in store for you? We used to sing about it, church. Every day with Jesus is what? Sweeter than the day before. Why? Because Jesus wants you to be more. He wants you to be more like him. He wants you to be more alive. He wants you to be more inspired, more understanding. He wants the beauty that he has bestowed upon you to be cultivated every day. So while he is sanctifying you, building you towards perfection, the work of the master's hands is undeniable. Men, that's the low bar standard God has set for you and I. 
as we love our wives. That out of fear of the Lord and the love of our wives, submit your life to love your wife, making her more every day than she was the day before. Oh, church, how do we do this? And I've got to pull into it because this really is about six months of study we're going to walk through. But here's what I wrote down. How can we know what it will take to make our wife more today, tomorrow than she is today? If we don't ever ask questions, what do you think? How can I help? What do you see? How can we do this best? We joke a lot. I, I joke a lot about Christy and our relationship, and we goof up all the time. But this is the strongest, most incredible woman you will ever meet. And so when we feel God's calling to ministry, I, I want you to know very, very clearly, no matter how strong the call is on my heart, here's what I do know. God has never called me to separate from my wife. And so many times in our lives, about the same time, in fact, coming here, about the same time on a drive home from work, I said, Christy, here's a Bible verse the Lord put on my heart today. I think it's for us. And she says to me on the way home from church, I think that's true too. Do you know in that moment, in that calling, I led her? There was other times where I've been, this is what God's calling me to do. And she'll say, David, I'm not there yet. Do you know what? You know what would be abusive? Well, sorry for you. You just don't love Jesus like I do. I just started getting on my knees and praying, Lord, put us on the same page. If I'm missing something, show me. If she's missing something, show her. And you know what happened? Time came together, and one day she came in, and she said, okay, I'm there. You know, that's loving your wife like Christ loved the church, and I'm not perfect. I'm just going to share some good stories today because we don't have good examples, men. When we talk about leading our wives, the world, because of the consequences of sin, want to make us lord our role over, uh, over our wives. That is abusive and wrong and dangerous. In fact, if you feel like throwing your weight around at a husband as a husband is the way to show your wife who's in charge, you should go back to verse 21 and feel a little bit of panic. Because what you're doing is your act of unworship to God. You follow me? Are we there? But, but leadership doesn't have to look like the world has painted it. It has to look like how God has pictured it. I, I thought about how could I tell if my wife is growing more in splendor and beauty in her relationship with the Lord if I'm never the one saying, let's pray together. How, how could she know men? How could you know where your wife is if you're never asking her, what have you been reading in the word lately? Here's what God's been showing me. You, listen, you and I, men, need to take the challenge up to lead our families spiritually. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to go it alone. But you have been given a leadership role in your family to make your wife more beautiful as an act of an offering unto God who you love and fear and, and, and want to show that you love him. So allow yourself to lead your wife and your family spiritually. 
Don't keep your relationship with Christ quiet. And if it's very small, you aren't trying to live up to your wife's standard. It's intimidating because some of our wives are in the word a whole lot more than we are as men. It's intimidating when, when they are saturated in it and the gap is really far between. If you're a Christian, men, no matter where you are, no matter what you're struggling with, God's not telling you to meet your wife's standard. He's telling you out of reverence for him, you submit unto her as her leader. And maybe that's just saying, hey, I'm having a hard time reading in the word. I'm having a hard time, but as I open my Bible, I read this. Can we talk about it? I'd love to know what you think. I want you to know, Christy and I do this. I shared with this someone the other day. There, there's nothing that I preach that could even be semi-controversial where Christy and I aren't already in agreement. And there's nothing you'll ever hear out of her mouth in public that is semi-controversial when it comes especially to the spirit, but, but things of God, but in all things, where, where we haven't already talked it over. She, because of her role that God's given her and me out of my role that God's given me, why would I want to blindside my wife publicly? How would that make her honored or esteemed? About 15 years ago, a conversation about what is a deacon or who can be a deacon came up. And the word deaconess is in scripture. And we have family and friends that were wrestling with this. How does it look? What does scripture say? Does a man have to be married? Does a man have to be single? Can a woman be a, a deacon? Can a, woman, a single woman be a deacon? And all of this is going on around us. And we have very strong forces pushing in on both of us, desiring to know our opinions. Do you know what we did? We didn't talk to everybody else. And for a long season, we searched the scriptures together. And now what you'll hear publicly is what we both think. Because through this incredible mystery, God's brought us one. And if you're wondering, I believe it's very sound ground to say that when a man is married and man and woman are presented as, uh, as a deacon candidate, that his, a wife of a deacon is a deaconess. And we actually are very comfortable saying even when, if the husband passes away, that we still can look to the wife of a deacon, a deaconess, to serve in those roles in ways that gives the Lord glory. I don't think there would be a biblical standard for a woman having a word in there if, if he didn't have a purpose. And let me tell you about this. All of the wives of the deacons in our church, they meet a moral, a biblical integrity standard that is needed in the ministry of this place. And our opinion was much more conservative than many of the people pushing on us. I didn't know the answer when we started that question 15 years ago or so. But I wanted to make more of my wife tomorrow than she was that day. And so I just led her and we, we sharpened one another. Church, Men, we submit to our lives as servant leaders. We can lead in conversation. We can lead in stewardship. You don't have to be the most financially minded man to be the leader of your home. 
If your wife is better at finances and more conservative or a better steward or whatever, lead by saying, would you help take the lead here? Because I want us to honor God with our finances. You don't have to become a mathematician to lead your home. In our marriage, I was a spender. Christy was a saver. I was in debt. She was not. She married me. She became in debt. She was not before. She got, it felt like 300 paper envelopes and put cash in them. Dave Ramsey. Horrible name. <laughs> horrible, horrible name. And I could have done two things. I could have devalued her and blown her up and say, how dare you try to do this against me? Which, that was never a thought. Or I could lead and say, hey, listen, obviously my pattern's not so good. Would you pitch in? Help us get on right footing. Are you following me, men? You have a leadership role in your church and your wife and your family that is unique why can a man blow up so many things in his marriage so easily? Because of the way God has called you to be the servant leader of your home. You can blow it up in a second. But you don't have to. Out of fear, phobos of God, of Christ, let you, the way you lead your home be an act of worship. And if you are tempted in any way to lead your home by raising your fist, by ignoring, by disengaging, by ruling with an iron fist, then let me tell you for your own sake, stop. Because who desires to be on the wrong side of the Lord's discipline? Nobody. In chapter 6, verse 4, our kids and our wives love to pull this up. Guys, let's help it out. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can't play jokes on your kids. Right? Just say it right it is. Don't provoke them to anger. How do you provoke somebody to anger? Have you watched any news station in the last five years? I mean, are you provoking your children by showing them what an ungodly example of what a husband or, or father is? Are you provoking your children to anger because they see what you're watching on TV and they see the way, the look of your wife when you're staring at the figure here and you're not staring at the figure there? Are you provoking your children to anger by the issues you get passionately angry about? None of them are Jesus. That's provoking your children to anger. If your child has a Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or whatever the next thing comes out with, and you have one too, are you stirring up anger in your children by what you say? Out of fear of the Lord, stop. But instead, bring them up in discipline. That means training. Stop wasting your time on things that provoke them and start spending your time on things that make them strong as a child of God, as someone who is raised under the banner of Christ. Bring them up in discipline and teaching. Share the word with them. Dads, this is how we lead our children. It doesn't mean we can't have fun. It doesn't mean you can't have jokes. If that was the reality, I would be so toast right now. 
But I think you know the difference between actions that provoke and actions that train. God has designed you and equipped you to do it. You don't have to know it all. In fact, I would tell you scripture says to lead your wife and to make her beautiful by empowering her as you lead her. I've got two minutes, wait, ladies. That Phobos one also applies to you, but God gives you shorter stuff in verse 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, is his body, church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as Christ submits, as, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit in everything to their husbands. And, and ladies, I, I want you to know if there's a word that I would end husband's leadership with and begin our wives' leadership that tire our wives' role in the family is this, it's selflessness. When a husband empties himself and fills him up with Christ, he empowers and he leads his family closer to him. When a wife empties herself of herself and she empowers her husband, she becomes honoring in an act of worship to Christ. Ladies, here's what I wrote for you. What should or what should our role, your role look like? Show your love for your husband and fear of the Lord by submitting your life to love your husband by esteeming and encouraging him in his God-given calling. Wives, show your love for your husband and your fear of the Lord by submitting your life to love your husband by esteeming and encouraging him in his God-given calling. Every husband's room like, nah, I don't need that. I want a wife who ignores me and cuts me down all the time and nags me about how I'm not in the word. Right? That works really well. Not at all. Ladies, listen to me. Take joy in esteeming and encouraging your spouse. I mean, who, who gets married to just beat someone down until everybody's dead? Are y'all following me? See, the world wants to make this very difficult and very angry, like, you're not here to esteem and encourage your husband. Why'd you get married? As an act of worship to God. And out of an act of worship to God, then esteem and encourage him. What can you do to build him up? Consider the image of a godly, servant-hearted, firm-in-his-faith husband. A husband who loves to talk about Jesus. A husband who never cuts you down, who never makes an off-color joke. Imagine, ladies, a husband that you know every decision he made has been bathed in prayer because you've seen him and he's invited you in. Imagine a husband that when you come home is more thoughtful of you than of himself. Imagine a husband that when he comes home and he's tired and you've been tired because you're all day with the kids, which is really hard. And he comes in and he doesn't say, I just need an hour and a half by myself. But he looks at you and he says, I love you. What can I do? Who wants a jerk like that for a husband? God wants that for you. And so, just as the bride of Christ is here to make much of the Lord, encourage 
edify your husband stop stop being tempted to tear him down and look at the joyful call to esteem him and build him up there's a few things lady I, I want you to know that are very clear as we start to wrap things up today and I know this is going a little bit longer but look at the language of scripture it's all about Jesus ladies I want you to hear this and I say it with biblical foundation under my feet you belong to Jesus before you belong to anyone else in this world do you understand that your obedience to Christ is more important than your fitting in, in any other box if your husband is asking you to do or say or be something that is contrary to the word of God and the leading of your father, you have to do what Peter said in Acts. If I have to choose between obeying God and man, I choose him. Men, don't put your wives in that situation, but I want you to know from your pastor's lips, if you have to choose between being submissive to your husband or submissive to the Lord, if those things can't happen because of sin outside, not because sin inside, that's a different problem. Be obedient to the Lord. But you make sure that's the case. The second thing is this. Submission doesn't mean silent partner. Just think back to Abigail and David. In, in the Old Testament, David would have committed a grievous sin. Abigail's husband had already created a grievous sin, and yet submission, she was humble. But she wasn't silent. So I want you to know, there are times in our relationship where I am not in a, a good spot and I'm not asking Christy what her opinion is, and I need her to share it with me in a way that esteems me and encourages me, but is still truthful and faithful to the Lord. That's not in front of my kids, that's not out in public, because she loves me enough. So I want you to know, ladies, if your husband is, is in your family and leading, if it's contrary to Christ, follow Christ. If it's not contrary, or maybe he's not asking you, it's not rebellion to say, hey, can we talk about this? That's not stealing leadership. You don't have to be a silent partner to be submissive. In fact, I would tell you like this, ladies. I read about tempering metal. The purpose of tempering metal is to make it stronger by removing excess hardness. Every grumpy old man needs that t-shirt, right? Right? I'm going to make you stronger by removing hardness. Here's how it happens. This is incredibly beautiful. It happens by applying heat below the critical point for a certain period of time. And then allowing it to cool in still air. Ladies. I thought, what an amazing picture. Be willing to speak to your husband, but in a way that's way below critical mass. And then trust your words said to honor the Lord in a way that honors the Lord with gentleness and respect. That 
even if you walk away with it unresolved, let him become cool in the stillness of the spirit of God that surrounds him. Church, the role in the picture of husband and wife is so beautiful. It's distinctly different and amazingly intertwined. In the biggest picture of, of creation and eternity, it is an act of worship. Children, you have a role in today's sermon. Obey your mom and dad. That's the blessing. You cannot honor God and defy your parents simultaneously. It doesn't work. Unless God, them, Before we have a time of invitation, ladies, if you're in a relationship with a husband who's not a believer, what does scripture tell you? I think it's still applicable. Paul would say elsewhere, let him be won over by your witness. What is my witness? I'm gonna strive after Jesus. I'm gonna show our children Jesus in a way that's respectful and encouraging. You're going to have to take on roles that were meant for two and you got by yourself. You lean into that first relationship with God and allow the testimony of the Lord to come through. And in that relationship, only when an unbelieving spouse's direction is contrary to the direction of the Lord, you submit to the Lord before you him, just like in every other relationship. But if that's where you are, let the Lord work by showing the impossible to the unbelieving. See, we know that the family is God's unique design. And contrary to what the world would say, it is beautiful. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Uh, Lord, we, we know there's a lot going on. Lord, we, we know there's tension being pulled on us from every way, from every side. Lord Jesus, um, God, I just ask that, that we would be godly families. Lord, disciplining and training our kids, leading our wives as husbands to be more than she was yesterday and wives encouraging and equipping, edifying their husbands to look more like Jesus. Let us submit to one another out of a fearful respect for our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.